pastor and, and, uh, and Janet are at the conference at Redeemer Grace Church in Indiana, where Fred Evans is pastor this weekend. Um, so today, and we had for Sunday school, we also have for our, our morning worship service, we have our, our brother and, and dear friend, uh, Luke Coffey, with us. Luke, before you come, um, there was a couple announcements I meant to make earlier today. Um, uh, our sister, Haley, um, it was in an uh, accident, what was it, last week? Gary and Jamie's daughter, Haley, was in a boating accident last week. I had some pretty severe injuries. She's home today, is that right? Coming home from the hospital today, going to have some rehab. Um, so keep keep Haley and her family, Gary and Janie, their family, everyone in, in your prayer, if you will. Um, of course, remember our, our brother Cecil uh, and others that can't be here. Uh, it's a it's a it's a trying time when, when people go through trials, um, and, we, and we really can't say anything other than what Isaac just saying. We can say, "Lord, remember us." Right. Um, so again, our our brother Luke is here with us today. We're uh, we thank you for coming. Um, we claim you as our own, always will. Um, so come preach what the Lord's put on your heart. thankful you claim me because I claim you. So, If you would, open your Bibles back to Romans chapter 8. Those announcements you just made lead in is a huge reason why this message I'm going to preach this morning, and the title of it is, Look to the End. Look to the End. Now it's important we establish who I'm speaking to. Not everyone should look to the end. In verse 28 of Romans 8, who this is about is in the middle of the verse that says, to them that love God. To them that love God. Those that love God should look to the end. Unfortunately, I have to clarify that. This does not mean someone who says they love God. This does not mean someone who thinks it's very important that others think that they love God. This is not for someone who goes through the motions to make sure everyone sees or that they believe themselves that they love God. This is for those who truly love God. And because of that, there's a clarifier that follows that. To them that love God, to them who are called. The only people who love God are those who have been called. The only way a person can love God is if the Lord Jesus Christ, if they have been called. In this chapter, the rest of these verses, we'll talk more about that. And we'll get more into that. But a person who was chosen before time began, someone who is elected by God as a sheep of the shepherd, that's who we're talking to this morning. That's who should look to the end. Now why should those people, why should those that love God, why should they look to the end? Well, to begin... Because our lives are a mess. 
It just are. Our lives are a complete mess. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we're a part of is just a mess. And the only reason that there are times that we think they aren't a mess is because we're so used to the mess that we don't recognize it. I was talking to a couple guys yesterday and we were talking about something that we did and it struck me as funny because if I told you what we were talking about, you're like, you would do that? But because we have done things for so long, because I've lied so many times, that lying doesn't bother me as much as it should. Because of the way I think and the way I act and because of the way we are, we just get used to it. And a good example of that is every generation thinks the next generation is just awful. But if we honestly listen to the news and we hear stories and they really don't register with us, we hear this happened and that happened and that happened and we're like, okay, and we just turn to the next channel. If we backed up 20 or 30 years ago and played that news broadcast, those people would be like, what? I can't believe those things happen. And if you back it up another 30 years, it's the same thing. We just progressively get worse and everything we do just keeps pushing the envelope a little farther until the things that used to happen, we don't even think of them as bad anymore. We do so many things that we just don't think of them as bad. And our lives are, are such a mess. And we're also really good at blaming that mess. It's because of where I work. It's because of the people I have to be around. It's because of that person or this person. Or forbid we think, thing, we think oh, it's because of my parents. It's because of my kids. It's because of my spouse. That's why things are a mess. But do you know why our lives are a mess? It's because me. I'm the reason my life is a mess. I mean, I, I, I totally deserve 100% of the blame. And if we want to get more specific, it's because of my sin. It's because of who I am. Now, I don't say that my life's a mess because of my sin as a way to like make me further from it. You know, I think people say that sometimes. It's, well, I'm just a sinner. You know, I'm sorry I did that. I'm just a sinner. Like, that's not an excuse. I mean, that's who we are. We're awful and we cause those problems. And the only reason that what I'm going to say is true only to those that love God is for two specific reasons. Two things that the Lord has done for those people that differentiate them and they can look to the end. The first is the acknowledgement the Lord makes us aware and realize that we're sinners. And I don't mean the word sinner in the sense that people say, well, everybody's a sinner. I mean that we actually get a glimpse of who we are in spirit, in nature, that the Lord every once in a while gives us, He opens our eyes and lets us see, and boy, it just makes it gives me chills to think about those moments in my life where I've done something, said something, and the Lord has shown me, do you realize who you are and what you would do if I was not restrained by Him? And that's a scary thing, a really scary thing. But the Lord always shows His children who they are. And then secondly, He shows us who He is. He shows us who He is in His glory, in His holiness, in His righteousness. And if I thought that it was scary to see who I am, once we get the perspective of who He is, that is something that is just so frightening. We read, you read that passage, it says the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes from seeing who He is and who we are. When you see a holy God and you see yourself as a sinful creature, 
what you realize is there's only one outcome. There's only one thing that can happen. Whenever the day comes, I'm going to die in my sins. That's the only outcome for a sinner. In my sin, the wages of sin is death. That's the only way this can end for me, is I'm going to die in my sins. And because the Lord shows His children that, because He shows us who we are and who He is, that allows us and makes us to just totally fall in love and have a hope and assurance. The title on the top of my uh, this page in my Bible says, The Ground and Assurance of a Christian's Hope. This is what gives us hope. All these things that the Lord has done for His sheep. For those who love Him, this is what He's done. And remember, it's not because we loved Him, it's because He first loved us. He called us, those He called before we were even born. And in those things, the Lord gives us very simple instructions throughout the Scripture. The Lord gives us things. He says things to us that that should be so easy. He says things such as, look, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I'm looking at you right now. I know I can look. But He says do that. And then I see, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I came here this morning. I can do that too. And then he says, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. I can ask questions all the time. But I don't find comfort in those things because for some reason I fail to look. For some reason I forget to ask. And for some reason I don't want to come. Because of who I am, I can't do those things. So I find my comfort in this passage and so many words and so many things that are said here because it shows us that He does those things. When He says come, it's because He makes us come. When He says look, it's because He turns our head, or opens our eyes and makes us to look. When He says ask, it's because He puts us in situations and makes us ask Him. He does those things for us. A couple weeks ago, or a month or so ago, I was at the funeral for Dee Parks. And as awkward as this is to say, it was a rather joyous event. And, and I know that sounds weird, but I heard three or four people come to me and say that, and I was thinking it. But that's because it was such a, it was such a celebration of what the Lord had done for him. I mean, it really was, and it was great. But in sitting there, his son, who was 16, stood up and said a few words. And when I was sitting there listening to him, when they said his 16-year-old son wants to come up, it made me flash back. Because I was 16, 27 or so years ago when my mom died. And I remember specifically someone saying this verse. Verse 28 saying, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called. And I remember specifically thinking, I am 100% sure there was never a moment in my life that I did not think my mother loved God. Not a moment. And there was never a moment in my life where I didn't think that she was called. I'd been taught how how this all worked. I had heard that. And there was never a moment I didn't think she was called. Yet, I did not have this top of the... I didn't have hope in that. I, I didn't have any peace in that. And that's why the verse was said. And later on in life, I feel like that famous story with Henry and Rolf asking him to quote this verse and he leaves off that last phrase. And that's what it was to me. As a 16-year-old kid, people were telling me 
Luke, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called. Well, it didn't mean anything to me at that point. It was actually a little off-putting in a way. Because I struggled with it. I didn't know why it happened. I didn't understand anything. I went through so many phases of that, of, of not understanding why it happened. Was it my fault? What's going on with this? And I ultimately got to the place where I remember thinking, I'm just going to stop thinking about it. Which is foolish when you look back, but I thought, well, if I can ignore it half the time, I don't have to deal with it half the time. But at some point, whenever that was, just like the last phrase of that verse when it was quoted on the second part, according to His purpose, the moment that that part of that verse came into play, the moment that I realized that the Lord's purpose, because once I was shown who He was, it meant something. Unless you know who He is, and, and I don't know who He is apart from the Lord showing me who He is and opening my eyes to see it, but in that moment, then you realize that all things literally work together for good to the chosen of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's His purpose. And in all of those things, that's where we find our peace because when we try to reconcile things on our own, we're not smart enough, we're not wise enough, we're not patient enough. We can't see the whole picture. We don't understand it. I cannot wait until the moment that one day we will be able to see His purpose. Like see the whole picture. And you talk about glory. To see what He has done in every single moment of our lives. These trials that we pray about. These sicknesses. These things we talk about. One day we'll be able to look at all those things. And now we're not looking at them in the sense of we don't care about our past. We're not looking back at them to see how it affected us. We will see those because that will just make us glory in our Lord even more. That's what we'll be doing. We'll be glorying in Him in those. So I just want to go through these verses for a couple minutes and remind us that we must look to the end. And we'll see what's in the end for those that love God. Look at verse 29 here. For whom He did foreknow who the Lord Jesus Christ, who God Almighty foreknew before time began, before anything that we could take credit for. He also did predestinate. He predetermined for it to happen. To be conformed to the image of His Son. What is the huge difference in who we are and who the Lord Jesus Christ is? Because we're sin and He's righteousness. He's holy. It says we will be conformed to His image. We will be like Him. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the first thing that we can look to in the end. We will be like Him. Can you imagine a day where your thoughts are not clouded by sin? Look to the day that we are like Him. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. These verses just give us this perfect list of the Lord did this, and then He 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 did this. He did everything. Every part of this is Him. He chose us before time began. He called us in time. He brought us. He was the sacrifice for us. He justified us. And whom He justified, them He glorified. Now how in the world can we be gloried in? Because we're in Him. 
He is the only one worth glorying. But when we're in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get glorified because we're in Him. What I'm trying to say is don't look at what's going on right now. Don't focus on the things that are in our way. Because what happens is we just start looking around and we get distracted, we get in trouble, we just are, we just get into a mess. And it's awful. We must look at Him. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for His people. Look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? What are we going to say to this? What are we going to say that He's done everything? If God be for us, who can be against us? I always used to analyze this as almost like a like a, a battle or an event where it was like everybody stood on one side, but if the Lord was on my side, I was okay. But that's not how this is. The Lord Jesus Christ, no one can be against Him. Like no one can stand against Him. We think of people who say things and do things. They're not standing against the Lord. The Lord cannot be stood against. In His holiness, when they came to come in the garden to see Him, He just answered who He was and they all just fell down. No one can challenge Him. No one can do anything. And if He is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him for us all. And remember, that us all goes back to these verses those that love God to them who are called. All those that are called, all those that He chose, those are the ones that He delivered. He delivers every single one that He chose. Every one of them. And because He did that, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I, sometimes I wonder if I'm the only person who does this, but I just wonder why I don't have this or why I don't have that or why this doesn't work out for me. It says He gives us, He will freely give us all things. If we don't have it, it's because we shouldn't have it. We don't need it. The famous song of unanswered prayers. I mean, our Lord gives us exactly what we need in His exact time, in the exact place, in the exact way. And if if we don't get it, it's not meant to be. We won't have it. We won't have anything that He does not predetermine that we have. Look in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is going to say anything? Who will claim anything against us? Who could charge us? Well, if I'm being honest, I'm pretty sure you could charge me with anything. And I mean anything. You could think of the worst thing that you could possibly think. What's the worst crime you could ever imagine? I'm pretty sure I have committed it, at least in my mind. And so it says here, Who could charge us? Well, why in the world could we not be charged? Because it says it is God that justifies. He has paid for every single one of our sins. Every particular one. Everything we've ever done and all that we're going to do. All of our sin, He paid the debt. He bore our sins. And so it is right when it says God justifies us. We can't be charged. That's an amazing thought. Can you imagine the moment that a criminal is standing in court and is all there, the moment they're dreading, when I say look to the end, what are they all dreading? The end. The moment at the end of the trial where the judge determines if they're innocent or guilty. If you're guilty, that end, you are scared to death. Now, how come we want to look to the end? 
But because we're innocent. Because we've been justified. What the Lord has done for us, we don't fear the end because we have a sacrifice. We have someone who stands in our stead. We have someone who takes our our place. Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. I got ahead of myself on that one. The Lord Jesus Christ made intercession for us. He interceded for us. He took our place. He went before us and did what we couldn't do. He did it all. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So we see all these things that He's done. But all of this that the Lord keeps doing, He keeps addressing these things that we question. None of these should be in any doubt. When it says that the Lord chose us and called us and we're saved in the Scriptures, that all that's all it really needs to say. Because it's done. But all of these words are to keep reminding us and showing us. Because we are foolish enough to ask the question, can I be separated from Him? If it says here that I'm in Him, I'm with Him, can, can I be separated from Him? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who could possibly do that? Shall tribulation separate us? What about distress? What about persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or anything else? Can anything do it? No. And it's not these things distress. These are our problems. Our tribulation, our distress, our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, all these things. These are our problems. But they can't separate us because we're not the one who made the joining. We're not the one who combined the two things. He's the one who took us. So we can't be taken from Him. All people who think that they made a decision or they chose Christ, anything I do can be torn asunder in just moments. I can't hold on to anything. But He's the one who chose us. He's the one who took us. And nothing can be taken from Him. Look at verse 36. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now this verse really starts to show us the reason we look to the end is because in this flesh and in our sin, we can't protect ourselves. We're very feeble. We're very frail. We're going to struggle. We just are going to struggle because of who we are. It says, it describes us here that for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. A sheep in among itself is just living its days out, fattening itself up, being led to eat grass so that it can be led to the slaughter. And that's who we are. Our paths, our lives, they all serve a purpose. In verse 28, we see all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. His purpose works for the good together of His sheep. Everything together. That word together means everything together works for His good. It doesn't say every single thing that happens to you is good for you. It says all things together work for good. For a couple examples of this. Sicknesses. We battle sicknesses all the time. What about the woman with the issue of blood? She spent... Her all her money. She went to every place and every person she could possibly go to to heal herself, and she couldn't. Because she could not heal herself in all her means possible, she was forced to go to the Lord. And she went to Him and went to His feet, and when she came there, she was healed. 
Would she have traded all the days before then for the one moment that she was healed? Would she have traded all the sickness in her life and said, if you could take my sickness back so I didn't have to endure this? No, she would not have because she came to the Lord in that. What about the lunatic who spent his whole life just crazed in the cave? No one could chain him. No one could do anything. He was literally called a lunatic his whole life. No one gave him a name. They just called him a lunatic. And the Lord went to him and gave him peace and right mind. And he could not stop. And he was told, don't, you know, you don't have, don't tell anybody about this. And he couldn't shut his mouth about the Lord. He would not have traded all the days of his life and all his problems for what the end was. What about our difficult lives? What about Joseph? He said in the end, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What about the woman at the well? Her life was so bad that she would not go get water at the right time because she was scared of seeing someone. If she'd see anyone, they were going to ridicule, mock her, all that. So her life was so bad that she was forced because of what happened in her entire life to go to the well at a certain moment to meet the Lord. Would she have traded that life and have a better life so that she would have gone to the well at a different time? What about blind Bartimaeus sitting beside the road for his whole life? Just totally dependent on other people. I mean, what kind of life did he live just sitting there begging his whole life? Couldn't see you doing anything. He was totally dependent. Yet all of that led him to the moment where the Savior came by and he was just in his heart and his mind. He had to call out. What about the thief on the cross? His life was led to his death. He was being put to death, which led him to be next to the Lord. What about individual trials that we go through? What about that woman caught in the act of adultery? I can, I don't know if I could think of a worse individual moment, a trial as that woman being set up like that, being, I mean, those, you know, those Pharisees did not give her any dignity in that moment and being brought before all of these people, these, the people in your village and in front of the Lord to be said, this woman needs to be killed and you to sit there and all that moment. But all of that happened, that all of those events, would she have traded all that to then in that moment be shown who he is? who the Lord is, we must look to the end because what He's done for us. We don't focus on the things of our lives, the trials, the tribulations, the sicknesses, the troubles, all those things, because everything works together for good. Now, what is that good? That good is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. All things work together for good. It doesn't matter anything that happens from the day we're born to the day we die if we are found in the Lord Jesus Christ in that day. That's all that matters. That's what I'm saying when I say look to the end. Look to Him. Look at verse 37. Remember, verse 36 says, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. I love that it calls us sheep who are just going to the slaughter. Just innocent sheep, or not innocent, but just sheep that are just don't have a clue what's going on, just going to their death. And it says that in that, in us in this life, we are more than conquerors. We are the victors because of Him that loved us. Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did and us being in Him, we are conquerors. We are victors. Eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And one more time, just one more time, they got to tell us, for those of us that just waver constantly, for those of us who couldn't make it from verse 35 and 36 to verse 38 and 39, we couldn't quite make it, that 10 seconds it took us to get between those two verses to where we thought again to ourselves, could something separate us from Him? After just being told all that we were, one more time, it's not death nor life. There's nothing other than those. It's not angels nor principalities nor powers. It's not things present or things to come. It's not height or depth nor any other creature. There is nothing that is able to separate us from the love of God which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are loved in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His righteousness, His holiness, His perfection, we're loved in Him. Now, in closing, I want to give an illustration and then just say a thing or two. So our lives that I've described as a mess and we've seen as a sheep to the slaughter, I want to relate it to if someone had never been on a roller coaster before and the first time you were ever going to get on a roller coaster, they took you to the roller coaster and they sat you in the chair and they blindfolded you. So you couldn't see the roller coaster. You didn't know anything about it. You'd never been on one before. Now, as in life, there are going to be plenty of people who have told you about it. There are going to be people who told you it was great. People are going to told you it was awful. People are going to told you that you, you want to do it over and over again. There will be people who have told you so many things about it. But in that moment, you have no idea what's coming. You really don't understand what's coming next. And that harness comes down and you're secured in that roller coaster and you take off. You don't know if you're going up, you're going down. You don't know how fast you're going to go. You don't know anything. You don't know if it's going to be the height, the depth. You don't know if you're going to spin. You're not sure if you're going to be tossed upside down. You have no idea what's coming. And just like our lives, when you're getting to the top, you think it's never going to end. You're always going to be on top, only to always be followed by going right back down. And when we're going down, we think there's never a moment we're going to stop going down until we go right back up. And we don't know when the turns and ups and downs. We don't know anything about it. We're just not sure. We have no idea what's coming next. We just don't know anything about it. And it goes back to the two things that we must know about our lives. With this roller coaster, we must understand two things to get through it. First is that we realize that we can't do anything about it. We can't get out. We can't slow it down. We can't stop it. We can't keep it from going up, keep it from going down. We can't do anything. We have no control over it. Just like in life, we have no control over it from what's happening the moment you start to the moment it ends. And the second thing we must understand is that even though we don't realize it and don't think about it, there was a creator of the roller coaster. There was someone who designed every single part of it. Someone who designed where you were going to start, where you were going to end, how fast you were going to go, how high you were going to go, when you were going to twist, when you were going to spin, all of that stuff. All of it was predetermined before you ever got on the roller coaster how it was going to go in every way, shape, and form. And we must understand that we look to the end, not focusing on the things of our life that happen on every day, on a daily basis, and the things we go through, because we must understand that we don't have any power over it. We're helpless. We can't stop sinning. We're just, we're the problem. And the second thing we have to understand is that our God is in control of all things. He created us. He, before time began, determined exactly what we were going to be doing and in exactly every moment. And the key to that is He determined how and through what means through our Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice 
that where we would end, everything was done. We don't have to worry about the things of this world because our end is already determined. Everything is finished because of what our Lord did on the cross. We know that those that He called, those that He chose, those that love Him, those that He predestinated, those that He justified, those that, all of those things, all of that, if that's us, we know where the end is. We know that it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be with Him for all our days. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life because of the end. Just look to Him. The end is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Him. All right. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate your 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 study and your your travel and your time. Appreciate the fact that the the Lord blessed you and, and blessed us and in, in, in hearing of Him. Uh, we appreciate you. Come back and, and see us soon. Bring the rest of your family, trace the kids with you. We look forward to seeing you again. Okay, Sean.